Blog Talk Radio. And welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Rubric Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe of clifflow.com in scenic Teaneck, New Jersey, and in just a moment we'll be joined by our co-host, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman of conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week we'll be joined by a special guest, Papa G., of folkmagicstudio.com in Nashville, Tennessee, bringing us today's topic of spiritual gatekeeping. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Contraman. Ms. Kat? Hi. Thank you, Clifford, for that introduction. Um, it's nice to hear your voice. I know you've been busily working on your presentation for the annual Hoodoo Heritage Festival, which is, uh, we're all working on it. We were in a big meeting, you, me, uh, everybody else, Papa G, we were all there. And um, so tell me if anything I need to know about what's going on in beautiful New Jersey. Things are pretty good. I'm preparing for a bunch of different projects, some of which I've announced and some of which I haven't yet. Uh, But things are going very well otherwise. Okay. Well, things here in California have been um, kind of strange. We had a bizarre heat wave that just came out of nowhere, flattened us, went away, and uh, is gone very quickly. Um, So that's what we got. Um, We got a nice little crowd today in the chat. I noticed that um, Doc Murphy's there, Um, new member of AIR. If you ever uh, liked Doc Murphy working as our announcer here, chatting in the uh, chat log room, and also, um, you know, posting occasionally on the Lucky Mojo forum, check out Doc Murphy at AIR. Um, She has her own page, and you can hire her to do root work and readings. Um, Hi to Dr. Sweets, to I, Patricia. Hi to Dr. Jeremy Weiss, a member of AIR, a person who's going to be presenting at the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. Hi, Jeremy. Um, Mickey MSB1, Papa G. Of course, he's going to be our guest in just a few minutes. Risen Raven, Signy DC, and the person I can never pronounce their name, which may be Tygav or Tyegov unknown, but I always see them here, so hi to them, whoever they are. And, um, of course, things here have been very busy, as I mentioned, working on the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. I'm kind of the manager of getting all of the, um, 
workshops done on time to be edited and uploaded and I'm not actually doing any of the video work. That's all being done by Lady Muse and uh, her husband, Sean, and they're doing a fabulous job. I'm just um, the calendar keeper. So seeing how that's going. Waiting for my book to come back from the printer, my book on dolls and effigies, which is finished, and returning to a bunch of projects that had to stop when we started working on the book. And that was Shiva also helping me on the book. That we was not the royal we. That was the married couple we. Ah. <laughs> um, so, um, but we are now, we, the married couple we, are going back to sorting business cards on varied occupational topics for our business card friends. Huge project. Sending out back Patreon boxes stay flats and packages which we are so backed up on it's very embarrassing but we're sending them out and um, Patreon um, electronic files have been going out regularly but the actual putting them in a box and mailing things as gifts to people who subscribe at a higher level has just been put on hold and I apologize but you know you can't do two things at once and working on the book was um, of primary importance to me and um, gee I guess the uh, other thing is I, a voice from the past has appeared and I'm going to be having a lot of fun uh, with a man who I will not name, but he is the son of my childhood best friend and he and his son are going to be coming over and helping us on our railroad uh, starting next Sunday. So that's really nice to know. And I think that's about it for my news. Um, just about it really doing a lot of strolling through the past lately, organizing old postcards on tea rooms, organizing old postcards on fortune-telling. You know, you used to be able to get your fortune in a postcard and someone would mail it to you. It was pretty cool. So I'm making a very large website about those. I say very large. There's only less than a two dozen pages at this point but it's going to keep on going it's called yourweightandfate.com and weight is spelled w-a-t-e yourweightandfate.com so check that out all right that's my news how about you conjureman what are things in um, in your world well things are going quite well busy as, as usual um i'm doing quite a bit of, of reading interestingly from last week i've had I would say three readings around people who are interested in finding out their spiritual path. And those are quite, all quite interesting to do. And people asking, am I, you know, prepared to be a professional root worker or a professional reader? People asking what their gifts are. Am I meant to be a healer? Should I be doing this type of work? That's always a really fun uh, reading because you get to explore what people's spiritual interests are, what their proclivities are, what their powers are. And, you know, you get to find out, you know, look, you really should be doing fire magic. Oh, no, you're really going to be good at court case work or reconciliation work. So I've been doing a lot of that, and that's quite interesting. In fact, I've been thinking, I do have uh, two uh, natal readings still open for July, if anyone is interested in, that do go by real quickly. But I'm interested in, I'm probably going to start incorporating um, that into the, just the basic reading that I do anyway. Here's the sort of spiritual path that's been laid out for you. There's a way of doing things 
the way that I was taught uh, astrology in the Middle Eastern tradition is that you can examine a person's horoscope and find out the name of their personal jinn. Um, this would be like your uh, spiritual companion, your spirit guide. You find a lot of these in various traditions, and whether in uh, in Banda, they're known as your personal issue in Pombajira, you know, uh, in the, the Santeria tradition, the Orisha that crowns you, um, but also found in European tradition, your familiar spirit, right? The familiar spirit that you have some type of contract with. Well, in the Middle Eastern tradition, you also have a, a jinn that is associated with you. And so there's a whole way of uh, finding out a person's personal jinn. And through them, they can build, through the finding out of that name, they can then build a devotional practice, build a connection to other jinn, build their spiritual connection to ancestors, deities, various powers, but also develop their skills in things like dream interpretation, their skills and abilities in fortune telling, their skills and abilities in various magical workings. So I'm, I've been playing around with incorporating that. Usually people ask it quite deliberately. They say, hey, can you tell me what my spiritual path is? I'm interested in finding out should I become a professional root worker or whatnot. But I'm thinking of just making it part of the reading in general. That's like sort of my... <laughs> the, the checklist that I go through when I do a sort of a natal reading or interpretation of the person's birth chart, I always tell them, you know, you know, this is what the love life looks like, this is what the, you know, the age this, it looks like this. But now I'm thinking of also just including looks like your, uh, the name of your gen is this, and it inclines you to this type of spirituality, it inclines you to these types of magic. Here's how you can build this particular practice. So I'm going to play around with that, uh, mostly because I've had such a high demand for that type of stuff that it seems just feasible to <laughs> incorporate it generally. So that's been really an interesting kind of turn the past couple of weeks is people really focusing in on their personal spirituality and their personal path towards magic, etc. Well, that's, that is very nice. In the chat, people are all saying they need an unpaid intern. They, <laughs> they need a personal assistant. We all need a personal agent. <laughs> and and uh, Dear Nagashiva... Uh, posted, but aren't I your personal gin? <laughs> so I hereby declare Nagashiva Ironwood my personal gin. All right. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta develop the ability to grant wishes. <laughs> yeah, well, he does grant my wishes. There I you ask go. for tea. That's, I ask for tea with ginger. The, uh, the, bang! It appears he, just like that. This is where the Aladdin story walk. comes from: is the idea of a personal gin. Don't lock me in a bottle or in a lamp or in a ring, please. That's I won't. fair. I will, I, not that's put, fair. I will not put Nagashiva in a bottle, I promise. That is a fair right. agreement. We call, we call this the contract with the gin. That's right. My contract with the gin is he gets to sleep in bed with me. <laughs> all right. Lucky gin, ain't he? Um, all right, that was a takeoff on a Joseph Conrad novel for all of you literary people. <laughs> um, someone should do that, actually. Lucky Jen, I like that. Okay, um, I, we have a, a topic today, and here we are uh, talking, but we should get to our topic because it's going to be a real um, mm. hot one. Our topic today was brought to us by Papa G., and the topic will be spiritual gatekeeping. But before we get to the topic, let's just say hi to Papa G. Mm-hmm. Hello. 
Well, um, we're so glad to have you here, Papaji. Welcome, Papaji, tell us what you've been doing. First of all, you've just put out your uh, newest book, Hex Appeal, and it's going to debut at the uh, 2022 um, Hoodoo Heritage Festival. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Mainly I have, you know, I talked to you a while back that I had sort of cut out doing root work for clients and sort of transformed what I do. I have now become dedicated mainly to writing and to blogging for the our company for the store, Roma Jeans, and and blogging where my entire office has become a video production studio with lots of different setups and props and stages on every wall. So, hmm. so I'm still I'm teaching, but teaching through video. Hmm. And I'm so you're, about thirty uh, percent into my next book too. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, good for you. Um, I know you're a good writer, and I I have received my advanced copy of Hex Appeal, and folks, it's really really good. If you get your ticket now for the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, it will be included in your goodie box, which is about a hundred dollars worth of products, which you get as a rebate on your. $300 ticket. So you get pay $300 for 10 workshops, but you get $100 in products back. It's a good bargain, and you'll have these 10 workshops. There will be um, PDFs included. There will be paper flyers. There will be many, many things that you will get in a box, just as if you had been attending in person. And tickets are on sale at the Hoodoo Heritage Festival.com. That's Hoodoo Heritage Festival.com. All right. Well, Papa G, we have a topic that you brought to us, and it's spiritual gatekeeping. And as I always do, I'm going to introduce this from my perspective briefly. Mm-hmm. Spiritual, gate, spiritual gatekeeping has been with us for a long, long time. A lot of people think it's part of modern cancel culture or woke culture or whatever. Not so. Spiritual gatekeeping has been going on ever since one uh, group of people self-segregated from the masses of people and declared themselves to be clergy. Clergy are spiritual gatekeepers. So even going back to the Neolithic time period, you'll find that there are altars with figures on them. And then there are special, what are sometimes referred to as high-status graves with um, spiritual grave goods. And it is presumed that those were people of a priestly, priestessly, um, high-status group who were the mediators on the spirituality for their congregants. It's not always understood fully by archaeologists. Sometimes context is lacking, but we know that spiritual gatekeeping has been going on for a long time. For just as long, equally long, there have been uh, counter-movements against spiritual gatekeeping, and these are what we would refer to as folk religion and folk magic. Often it's a question of men against women where men declare themselves to be the priests and women are the keepers of, quote, superstition or folk magic. But sometimes men also join with the women in the folk magic um, arena and some women are allowed in to the gates to become adjuncts to the um, priesthood in some cultures more than others. You know, Sumerians had quite a number of priestesses The Catholics do not allow them at all, except as celibate nuns. They cannot perform the central magic of Catholic Christianity, which is the transubstantiation 
<clears throat> of wine into the blood of Christ unless they are licensed to do so and have a penis. So these forms of spiritual gatekeeping go way, way back. So when people think, we're just going to talk about today's nightmarish social media stories, we're not. It's the whole big picture. And one of the things that spiritual gatekeepers do is use terms like, you're doing it all wrong, or you can't do that, you are forbidden to do that, you are not licensed to do that, you do not have the credentials to do that. And some of these people, over the course of time, from the Neolithic to the present, have set up religions, and in those religions, all of the congregants believe in that authority structure, that only certain people whose names are known have license, licentia, whatever you want to call it, to perform certain spiritual miracles or magical acts. But remember that just as long and for um, in, in as many places and as for as many, many centuries, there have been people who have worked outside the system. They are often subjected to harassment by the spiritual gatekeepers who want to license and will um, forbid the people or mock them or um, uh, jail them for practicing magic without a license or practicing religion without a license. So these um, things are important to understand when we talk about spiritual gatekeeping. Gatekeeping is good for some purposes. It does allow... Um, authority to be passed logically and linearly down through the ages and persist rather than just constantly bubbling up like yeast and forming and reforming. But it also has a stagnant quality to it, and in particular, it has a punitive quality to it. And it's the punitive aspect of spiritual gatekeeping that is so difficult to deal with. And for young people now, coming up with the age of the Internet, looking at spiritual gatekeeping that came out of nowhere, and they think it has always been there, they are often um, ill-informed. And I'm just going to stop there, drop the ball, and uh, dribble it over to Papaji. Papaji, take it away. Um, part of um, mine, I will first want to say that, that I wanted to bring up this topic not to trample on anyone's beliefs over their, um, their, their, you know, their way of life or anything like that. It's more to me about one person instructing another person how they can be spiritually, which is no one can do that because some of us are a mishmash of spirituality. So that being said, oh yeah, that's there the purity is, rule. That's right, I, and I didn't. Yeah, so the purity Go rule ahead. is you're a mudblood, right? <laughs> or a muggle. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, go on. But, um, Go there, there, there is a big social media one that we've all heard by now that I wanted to cover. So it's, it's, you know, we've all heard on TikTok and Facebook and everything that you should not be burning bundles of rosemary because it directly steals from the traditions of the Scottish. In the Scottish, they uh, they do smoke cleansing with bundles of rosemary. It's called saving. So if you're a witch or if you're a hoodoo or whatever you're into, you, you cannot use rosemary unless you have a Scottish bloodline. So, you know, and if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense that the god or the universe or the goddess would, would put rosemary on the planet only for the Scottish. <laughs> so I want, I want everyone to 
to pause, um, you know, pause with that and then replace the word rosemary with white sage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we get that every day we get that. And I will tell you, every, the people I read for or the people that come into our store, if they are, are, are indigenous, I ask them, what is your opinion on this? I have every single one has told me, basically, we're happy to share our medicine. Um, I, some other group has brought that up. And, and they, however, would like us to not possibly call it smudging because that deals with a specific ritual. But have no problems with that I've come across with uh, white people, black people, whomever, using white sage to cleanse their house because it's not their ceremony. And I tell people in the store, I said, listen, you can burn this. I said, but don't make fun of the indigenous culture while you're doing it. Don't wear a headdress and, uh, you know, a, a beaded jacket and try to think you're going to cover yourself with turquoise and make fun of people. That's it. It is you use it for the purpose that you're going to use it for and pay respect to where you got it from. Yeah. This is a, mm. a whole other thing about the question of white sage, too. And I just got to throw something in here. About half the people who've come on all preacherly and, and guardianly about this with me don't even know what the difference is between Artemisia's and Salvia's. And Salvia is the Latin name for sage. Artemisia is a different um, genus. But they both have this... Um, chemical in them, Thujone, which is a slight psychedelic, somewhat related, related to cannabis chemically, but has a different effect on the, on the brain. Onyx Rose so in the chat can, room mentions, well, white sage is Native American, and that's directly not, well, uh, not my yeah, point, so but this go is, ahead. This is <laughs> the problem. This is the problem. So when people burn sage bundles. Um, sage is found in Europe. Sa- people have burned sage in Europe. But what is called white sage in America, when I was young, only meant Artemisias. And then they began to say, oh, it's the sage that has the white wooliness. Well, the white wooliness is found in European sage, too. And then for a while in the 70s, they would call sage bundles a mixture of what they called desert sage, which is Artemisia, and white sage they would put them together. Then they started adding cedar sticks to it. And all of these different things were simply ways of selling product, selling product. And in many cases, they were Native American people selling the product. Why not? Of course they could. But the problem is plants do not recognize nationalities, nor do plants recognize religion. And I have never heard a sage plant say, you have no license to burn me. Right? It's mm. bullshit. Now, the same thing is true when you talk about incenses. Um, is it permissible for Native Americans to burn frankincense? Or should they just not because it's Middle Eastern? Right? Correct. It depends on who's guarding the gates and why. So there are many things. Is it permissible for Native Americans to use glass beads when glass bead making was never a Native American thing? 
and was introduced by Europeans. Should Europeans go around to the powwows and get those glass beads off, you must use porcupine beads only. See, mm-hmm. it's about power. It's about power and control. And yes, the people yeah, with the yeah, least yeah. power will try to seize power over some minor trivial thing. We're going to claim sage because we can't claim glass beads. You'd laugh in our face, right? So I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong. I'm saying it's all about look at who is trying to claim power. Before we started the show, we were all sort of chatting, and Clifford brought up Christian Kabbalah. Oh, my God, or should I say, oy vey, Christian Kabbalah. <laughs> so, um, in you know, as the suppression of Jews was continuing during the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, there was this whole idea that we must, by Christians, that they must steal the Kabbalah and remake it as the Christian Kabbalah. It was just a Jewish um, uh, you know, form of magic, not even folk magic, just a more... Um, uh, urban style. And so Christian Kabbalah came about. Um, after that, of course, there was the um, occult hermetical revival of the 19th century, and they came up with the Kabbalah with a Q, um, Aleister Crowley and his Kabbalah. And so now, of course, going back to the 70s, a bunch of Jews, myself included, would say, fuck you and your Christian Kabbalah. This is our Jewish Kabbalah. You have no right. But of course, we were hundreds of years too late, and in the end, we just laughed and said, okay, let them have it. You know, because why fight people who could be your friends? Um, if you want to learn the Jewish Kabbalah, yeah, it would be nice if you learned the Jewish Kabbalah. If you want to learn the Christian Kabbalah, there is so much documentation of it. It exists. You can't wipe it out of existence by going back retrospectively and saying, all those hippies who burned sage are going to burn in hell for uh, appropriating Native American tradition. It's not going to happen. Sometimes that ship has sailed. And also, there are people who deliberately want to be eclectic, love eclecticism, embrace different cultures, and they can hold their hands up and say, I'm here too. All right, take it away, Conjurman. Yeah, I think I think power here plays a very important part. I have a slightly different interpretation of power. Power isn't who claims it or who tries to grasp at it. So marginal people or marginalized people trying to claim power is not an issue. The issue is who has power, structurally mm-hmm. who has power. And I think this is an important part of the conversation that's entirely missing. So there's two forms mm-hmm. of, of gatekeeping here. There's gatekeeping done from positions of power, people who are mm-hmm. often in privileged positions who try to gatekeep this in the priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there, this isn't inherently bad. There can be good aspects of it. The gatekeeping can save people. It can help make things safe. There are certain traditions that have danger associated with them. Like uh, the Jin tradition is a prime example of this. There's no priesthood in the Middle Eastern forms of, of, of Seher and Rohaniya. But there is a system mm-hmm. of lineage. If you want to work outside of that system, you can certainly try, but the danger associated with it is real. The number of people that go mad trying to contact a jinn is very high. The very word mad comes from the word jinn, maknun in Arabic, means to be possessed by the jinn. So yeah, there is an element of gatekeeping there that serves a purpose. There's a function. When gatekeeping becomes punitive, when it becomes exclusionary, you cannot join us because you are a woman. That's when we run into some issues, right? That's about preserving your power. It's not about safety. It's not about preservation. And it's certainly not about 
passing on knowledge or creating lineages of learning and circuits of learning. It's about preserving your own power. But if I'm honest with you, 90% of the time when people rail about gatekeeping, it's because they feel entitled to something and someone is saying, hey, slow your roll. Gatekeeping has existed from time immemorial, but it's only in the past 10 years that people have been making a big stink about, oh my God, spiritual gatekeeping, magical gatekeeping. Why? Because white people, somebody told a white guy, hey, that belonged to black people. Hey, that belonged to Native American people. Maybe take five seconds and learn about that particular culture. Heaven forbid you tell a white dude that they shouldn't do that one thing. Oh my God, spiritual gatekeeping. So we're seeing this gatekeeping nowadays because white people are being told, I'm sorry, you should respect the culture you're learning from. Nobody has ever said, in my experience, has ever said you can't learn that thing. I've never met an indigenous person that says you can't do this or a Jewish person that says you can't do this. They simply said, hey, maybe you should learn a little bit about that culture. Maybe learn the language before you bother talking about that. You've got people talking about Kabbalah who, haven't, who doesn't know a lick of Hebrew, but they're going to tell you all sorts of shit about the gematria. Let me tell you about what this means this and that means this and how this equals this. And like, okay, great. Do you know the difference between this letter and that? And he couldn't tell you the difference between them. And that, that's where the issue is. An element of power here. When marginalized people are trying to preserve their culture, because they feel that their culture is being overwhelmed, as it is, it's not represented, it's not being experienced, it's not mainstream, and then the dominant culture comes in and goes, hmm, I feel entitled to this. I personally don't feel that as a form of gatekeeping. I feel that that's a form of preservation. That's a form of saying, hey, you're welcome to come in, but remember, you're a guest. And all three of us are guests in the tradition of hoodoo. We are. I was, I was adopted in this tradition. I'm not black. I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. I was adopted into it. And so I act as a guest. I don't act as a gatekeeper. I try to learn the culture. I try to be uh, respectful of the teacher who taught me and the people who guided me. So I feel myself having a sort of role as, as I've got to represent this to the best of my abilities because I've been entrusted into it. I've been welcomed into the house. There was no gatekeeping there. But on the same note, and Kat, you can testify to this, we all experienced quite really how ceremonial magicians only a few years back were like, oh, shit, this hoodoo shit really works. I'm just going to borrow a couple of these candle spells, and I'm going to borrow this love oil, and I'm going to borrow this bashlock oil, and I'm just going to take it without any care for black people, black culture, black traditions, black spirituality. Oh, we don't need to worry about the Bible. That's a bunch of, you know, all those black people and their superstitious religions. We're going to invoke these Light great magic. sacred archangels, yes, but we're going to use fast luck oil with this archangel Michael ceremony. So this is, I right. think, where um, the conversation of gatekeeping gets muddled. We need to really centralize power. Who is trying to preserve the tradition and who is feeling entitled to those traditions? That's where I think it becomes a problem because the reverse happens. Then you've got white people who come into a tradition and they gatekeep, uh, gatekeep other people. You can't burn right. the stage. All right, thanks, well, Tiffany. You know, you know, whenever I teach a hoodoo class of any kind, I say, in, first of all, I say I'm a guest, and then I make sure to say in the beginning of the class and at the end the class with saying you cannot take the black culture out of hoodoo or it's not hoodoo. Do something else. 
Right. Now, I'm going to say this is why when I teach my correspondence course in Kudu, homework number two is if you are not a black American, you must meet, befriend, mm-hmm. yes. and exchange folklore with a black person. And I've talked on this show many times. That is the the homework that everybody who's going to fail will fail. Yes. That is the most Can you fail. Talk a bit about will this? Not, this is really they, crucial here. Yeah. So um, why did I start doing that? It just it, it just occurred to me it was it was a problem for white students who want to come in and they want to right. learn. Yeah, like you said, they they thought, oh well, this has power, so I'm going to use it. But they didn't really want to have black friends. So there is a race component there. But the same thing is true of people that I met who in the Hermetic community in the 90s. One of whom, a well-known yeah. man, and I'm sure he regrets it now, in print in Usenet said. Jews aren't using Kabbalah anymore. Oh, jeez. And yeah, and and this guy's a published author, and um, and I kind of went like, what? So um, I don't demand that he say I'm a guest in Kabbalah. It's okay, you know. You know, as as Clifford pointed out in the chat, you know, there's been Christianized. Oh, maybe it was Doc Murphy. There's been Christianized Kabbalah since the you know late Middle Ages, early Renaissance. So mm-hmm. that's not a problem. The problem is. Um, wanting to do it in such a way that you end up removing it from the culture. But I'm going to say another thing, because Papa G's thing about um, the rosemary, only Scottish people can burn rosemary, this this goes to the idea, um, speaking of black culture, and I'm not trying to pick on black culture here, but this is really important to me as a person who loves music. Um, I love black blues music, and I mean acoustic blues of the 1920s primarily. It's almost all played on a guitar. A guitar is a Spanish instrument. It's colonialist. Okay, The banjo is an African instrument. The guitar is not. But then we get into the piano. I just love that early jazz of the 1912 to 1920s. Oh, my God, the piano is so freaking European. So there are and have been white supremacists who've said that black people shouldn't play jazz because they're just mongrelizing European uh, instruments. There are also black people who have been and are saying that white people shouldn't play jazz on a saxophone because it's black music, but a saxophone was created in Germany. So my feeling is people have to step back from the gatekeeping, open the gate up and say, hi, are you friends? Can we be friends? Because if you keep those gates up, you start making the most ridiculous, twisted statements and have the most ridiculous, twisted ideas. Right now, you go to Amazon, there were reviews of a book I wrote, negative reviews, one-star review, that says, don't buy this book, it's by a white woman. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't identify as white. I identify as Jewish, uh, and that's a point lost on many people. But that's what I am. I'm Jewish, and um, that comes with a, a whole nother kind of <laughs> hatred, right? Well, but so, because I don't think people but, understand but there, but what an anthropologist that, is. Right. But so you are. So I go out of my way. I go out of my way to um, in my books to give spells that were collected by anthropologists, including black anthropologists like Zora Neale Hurston and Alice Bacon and so forth, Leonora Heron, who, all of whom are black anthropologists or folklorists, we could call them back then. That's what they called themselves. And uh, they collected spells of black people. But still, the idea that I'm even having the uh, audacity to publish a book in which Leonora Heron describes a black spell by black people, and she's black in the 1890s, 
uh, white woman published it, bad, bad, bad. So there's a lot of hatred behind gatekeeping, and that hatred shows its ass. It is hatred of people who might be considered privileged. It's hatred of people who might be considered other. It works both ways. I have run into white supremacists who have actually taken my course in hoodoo and then gone on to just talk about using these spells and calling black people all kinds of names. So hatred is found both um, from without and within, from above, from below. And the real um, hope that we could maybe have here is to reduce the hatred and also open the gates a little bit. Now, as Conjurman said, there are religions that are initiatic, and in part of the initiation may be to show a form of safety, whether it's mental safety, spiritual safety, right, or sure. chemical physical safety, like how to firewalk, for instance, or yeah. how, or how to, to take that um, psychotropic drug. A psychotropic drug, exactly. These are traditions that come with their own gatekeeping. Those, however, humans are very, very quick learners. And if someone learns how to do a peyote ceremony and that person's ancestors, you know, came to Virginia from England um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that person probably is competent to perform a peyote ceremony if they are competent, but how can they prove it? And so lineage is a form of gatekeeping in which you prove that you had proper transmission of license, either genetically or culturally or through a teaching system, a mentorship system. And then we come down to genetics. And genetics as the form of gatekeeping is the one that fails the first because Maybe someone is of pure blood. Maybe they are pure Irish. Maybe they are pure Russian. Whatever it is, they're going to teach it. But maybe they're also an alcoholic and a drug addict, and they come from a whole family of 'er ne'er-do-well sex abusers. So what is their lineage genetically, really? They may have a claim to a genetic lineage to shamanism or witchcraft or stregoria or brewery or whatever it's going to be, but they're inadequate vessels and counting on their genetic lineage is not always safe for those who follow them. And that is true of people who want Jewish Kabbalah and follow exploitational Jews and those who want authentic black-only hoodoo and fall into the hands of people who sexually abuse them. So be careful. It's not about genetics. I think a a worthwhile analysis or worthwhile approach, because gatekeeping is problematic, I think, even as a concept. You have to unpack so much. I think, in my opinion, how I would approach this conversation is uh, the tension between organic cultural exchange, which should be encouraged and fostered and something that is good, this is something that happens over time. You live next door to someone. You go, what is that smell? It smells amazing. And you go over to your neighbor's house and you learn how to cook that thing. And you come home and you cook it for yourself. And maybe over time, you add a couple more things to it. It becomes your, take, your family's take on that thing. That is an organic cultural exchange versus cultural appropriation, which is an element of entitlement and power uh, residing so I think that's where the tension is. We can all foster organic cultural exchanges versus tensions against cultural appropriation. I think gatekeeping em, em, emerges 
as a result of the failure of acknowledging cultural appropriation. When we right. fail to do right. that, Very the defenses go up. The defenses go up. Okay, if people are going to culturally appropriate, then we're going to become gatekeepers. We're going to shut the doors. We're not going to let anyone. And that's reasonable. If you smell something nice, go, mm, that smells amazing. You see your neighbor go, oh, that whatever you were cooking was great. And they go, oh, well, come on over. I'll have you for dinner. Oh, what was this recipe? Let me share you my grandma's recipe. That's a beautiful organic exchange with your neighbor. In contrast, you go, that smells amazing. And you kick your neighbor's door down and go, whatever you're cooking, <laughs> hand it over. I'm entitled mm-hmm. to that thing. Then your neighbor goes, what the fuck? I'm calling the cops. Right? So this is, this is the tension here. And so, of course, they're going to call the cops. Of course, they're going to put the gates up. Of course, they're going to shut the door in your face if you kick their door down. But if, on the other hand, there's an organic exchange. You know, I, 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 this is why yeah. I'm like, whenever I hear the word gatekeeping, I'm always like, uh-oh, here we go. Right? Because it's always, it's always a certain demographic that whines about gatekeeping, in my opinion. Whereas what you're talking about, Kat, and what you're talking about, Papa G, is, the, is this tension the beautiful, organic, cultural exchange versus that sense of entitlement that is often good in hate and I want to own this other thing that you've got. Mm-hmm. I, I ran across one recently that doesn't deal with culture. It doesn't, but it's, it, it's um, to me, it's pretty bad. Um, I did not look back up who this was. I don't care who it was. I don't want to say the name or anything. But apparently there is a metaphysical shop owner who removes the devil card from all her tarot decks and seals them back up for purchase because she doesn't believe it should be in there. Wow. Wow. Okay, then. That's gatekeeping. <laughs> uh, I want to I quote something Mickey MSB once said in the chat. Um, Some hardcore Christians follow the Bible to a T will cut off people who don't accept Jesus as your Lord. Um, plus the things it talks about in the Bible, like the gift of prophecy, saying if you're psychic, it's from the devil, but being psychic is having the gift of prophecy. So what Mickey MSB is pointing out is absolutely true. This is within one culture. Remember, we talked about cross-cultural gatekeeping, and then we talked about top-down and bottom-up gatekeeping within a culture. So this is within the Jewish culture itself. There were... um, inflection points of, of, of belief between the priest craft who said, yes, we have prophets, and those other guys are just lying, babbling fools, right? And then, oops, some of their stuff came through. Oh, now they're a prophet. They're a minor prophet, perhaps. So within any culture, there is gatekeeping through authority and acceptance. Mm. And in some cases, within Judaism, the old-style Judaism, not the Judaism into which I was born, the old-style Judaism was strictly genetic. And so if you did not come from a certain lineage, you are not allowed to be a priest. And if you did, oops, come from the wrong lineage, they'd write you a fake lineage to make sure that they understood you did come from this lineage because you couldn't be a prophet and tell the truth if you weren't of this lineage. But those are always hardcore. They're hardcore Jews. There's hardcore Christians. There are people who within one culture will create these rules. And they will say, for instance, you must never blah, blah, blah with an altar to blah, 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 right? And then, of course, six blocks over, there's another temple or house or church where it's okay to blah, blah, blah with an altar of blah, blah, blah. So this kind of stuff is going on within cultures and across cultures. Hopefully, you know, to mix what you just said folk- with something, with something Conjurement said, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it occurred to me that there would be people who would complain that you, you, you imagine a Catholic church and the altar, and they're like, you're gatekeeping it if I can't bring my Buddhist statue and put it on your altar. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there are people who deliberately go about and be eclectic, and they are mocked, of course, by those who are the hardliners of any given religion. Among um, Christians, you'll find the Unitarians, for instance, and they try to incorporate science, religion, different religions, theosophy, although it kind of codified and kind of hardened around certain beliefs, started off as an eclectic tradition. So those are spiritual traditions, but there's also folk magic. And folk magic exists within a culture, and participants may belong to the majority religion of that culture, but they're dealing with magic. But even among folk magicians, there is gatekeeping. Your horseshoe must point up or the luck will fall out. No, no, my horseshoe points down. I'm German. Well, you can't understand the horseshoe. You can't understand Irish luck. So gatekeeping appears even among folk magicians who have no clerical authority. They just have hostility for the other team. And so it becomes, in a sense, like sports team um, uh, riots. You know, these people believe in that. These don't believe in that. Um, One of the things that we were talking about earlier, maybe Papa G can speak to this, is um, Wicca and witchcrafts of, of like Alexandra and so forth that derive from that tradition, a revival of older um, Western European um, pagan religions, pre-Christian religions, um, it centers around heterosexual or heteronormative ideas, a goddess and a god. But there's also Dianic witchcraft, and there's the Minoan Brotherhood, which are male-centric, and the Dianic being female-centric. There are people within these modern religions who will tear each other to shreds in social media over whether their version of what I would call neo-paganism is um, friendly to people who are not heteronormative. And they will either kick them out and or they will permit them. And there have been huge um, uproars at pagan conventions, and I could name names and give the receipts. And I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about, over whether um, transgendered people can um, become involved religiously in, quote, women-only space. And you would think that people who are already so marginalized from being um uh, members of a of a minority religion that they would still fight to the death to um, keep out transgendered people. This is really a symptom of mm. humanity's mental collective mental illness. Oh, it's yeah, like oh, yeah. these th- these people, you know, put them in blue sh- shirts and they're our friends. And if they're in red shirts, we shoot them. Right? Mm. That's it. Yep, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. This is why military <laughs> units wear colors and things like that yeah. and gangs never underestimate uh, people's really deep 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 desire to have just a little bit of power that they can exercise over others it's just mm-hmm. it's true it's, i mean the number of times you have people who come from uh, a powerless background who gain power and then immediately apply that power to other people i mean this is not this is the unfortunately also the, the history of any sort of rights movements have also been marred by this uh, we 
for example, the that we talk right now about the way in which certain feminist groups or so-called feminist groups have become exclusionary towards trans women. Never mind the fact mm-hmm. that expansion of rights never dili- never dilutes your own rights. But that's also the truth of the beginning of the suffragette movement. The beginning of the suffragette movement had deeply, deeply racist components. Right, right like that's right. White, white mm-hmm. women should have the right to vote. How dare those black men have rights? Right. Some of the oldest, right. the first female senators in American history, state senators, were like hardcore pro-lynching people. So there's always been this component when people don't have power, they seek power to exercise over others. And so this is one for me, when I talk about gatekeeping, I really want to center this idea of power, particularly because um, if you're talking about gatekeeping as lineage, if you're talking about gatekeeping as preservation, if you're talking about gatekeeping as, like, I completely understand why there's certain exclusionary components toward in, in Judaism. I guess I study mm-hmm. history of Judaism. If you're a minoritized religion facing the overwhelming dominant force of the Greco-Roman Empire, who's saying you've got to worship Jove or we're going to kill you, or we're going to put on these Im- immensely heavy taxes on you, there's an element of, oh shit, we've got to preserve. <laughs> we've got to preserve mm-hmm. ourselves. We're a small faith in a small little portion of the, of the kingdom with this overwhelming military might. We've got to have some element of preservation. So I completely understand the impulse for preservation. I understand the desire to pass on knowledge in a safe and reputable manner. I completely get that. What my issue has always been, when I think gatekeeping, I think exclusion. That's my big, mm-hmm. that's where I like having mm-hmm. to If people want to say, uh, this herb is predominantly of this culture and this is how we do it, my immediate reaction is, oh, interesting, tell me more. I want to learn more. I want to respect mm-hmm. your approach to this. Where we run into problems is the desire to exclude others. And this is something, something that we see a lot. When people say, you can't do this, what they're doing is not necessarily preserving their culture. What they're doing is excluding that person. They have a desire to apply power. They have a desire to exercise what symbolic power they imagine they have to say, I don't want you to do this thing that I claim is mine. That's where I think we run into problems is that component and whether that's institutionalized in the form of a priesthood that says you can't be gay and a priest or you can't be a woman and a priest or whatever sort of explanation is given to exclude peoples or it's done in a non-institutional fashion as it's done by folk magic practitioners or by people who work in sort of popular circles. You can't do this because you are blank. You're not, you're not excluding a person for their behavior. You're excluding a person for who they are. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a trans person. You're gay. You're a woman. It's not like you want to exclude rapists. I'm all for it. You want to exclude unethical people. You want to exclude exploitative people. Let's, do, let's, let's gatekeep the shit out of that. But if we mm-hmm. exclude people for their identities, who they are, you can't do this. You can't participate in this because you're a Jew. You can't participate in this because you're a woman. You can't participate in this because you're a trans person. You can't participate in this because you're gay. That's when I'm like, all right, you lost me. Now we've got beef, yeah. you and I. <laughs> now, people may say that, uh, that here we have a, um, um, a man of um, 
Middle Eastern origin, a woman of European and Mediterranean and North African Jewish origin, and a man of um, Western European origin genetically. And here we are talking on a show about hoodoo. And there are people who are going to listen to this and say we're self-justifying. We're just doing this to justify our own um, connection to hoodoo. And there are those who become um, disoriented and say, oh, I better leave. I've been told to leave so many times. I better leave. And there is a way to um, gently um, dispel gatekeeping that is exclusionary. And one way is to um, gently say, hey, I'm here. I've been here. I'm not going anywhere. And another way is to point out logically, which I've tried to do many times, well, my gosh, you're eating spaghetti. And you're not Italian. (laughs) You like that spaghetti? It's okay. We're all here to have fun, right, on this planet. We're all here to have fun. So people have to become inclusionists or they're not going to have fun. And when you find find and run up against somebody who is a determined hater, no matter what, whether they hate people based on skin color, whether they hate them based on religion, uh, country of national origin, um, sexual preference, whatever. If they are haters, they're just haters. And so one of the best things to do is to go, I see, okay, well, I'm not going to change your mind. Just walk away because there's no way you can um, get away from those haters. So say you want to join an African traditional diasporic religion, and in that religion it is the rule that there are no homosexuals allowed in the religion of Paolo Mayombe, right? There are plenty of other African traditional and diasporic religions that do allow homosexuals. Join Kimbanda. We'll welcome you. (laughs) Yeah, join Kimbanda. We'll welcome you. Come on over. (laughs) Yeah, come on over. Right. And if you you think that all Jews must be kosher or they're not Jews, come on over. I can can show you some, uh, you know, reformed Jewish food. (laughs) Whatever. There's there's a lot of inclusionism in the world. I think one of the big differences is if you are someone who, one, teaches other people or you, even if you go online, you think you instruct other people, um, (laughs) you have some sort of um, um, obligation to be, you know, you can't just say, yeah, we're going to mix hoodoo and witchcraft together and get rid of its roots. You know, you should be uh, honor it and show it for what it is, but... I want everyone who's listening to hear this and anyone in the future to hear this. If you are in your own home, in your in your own time, on your on your knees praying in your own way at your own altar, you have all the power. Do whatever you want to do, but don't go out and teach your conglomerate, you know, your eclectic path as the true way to do something. But when you're on your own and praying or spellcasting or whatever, you have all the power. I think well, it's also that, really I agree with that, here. but, you know, if what if you want a sound? Let's say one person listening to this um, radio show now or in the future says, huh, but I wanted to start a form of folk magic that includes Appalachian and African and, oh, and I want to put some of that Japanese in there because I've always liked sushi. I mean, Well, you could, but you're going to have no to one's going to stop. Yeah, you well, might find yourself with a limited following. You might find yourself mocked. 
but um, if you did it in a respectful way, you wouldn't be doing anything different than than has ever been done. That's the amazing part. There are still followers of um, religions um, that are, are blended, like um, theosophy. Nobody says, oh, these theosophists are such fools. Maybe at one point they did, but they, they actually built a structure. They live within it, and it is what it is. It contains elements of Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and Judaism, yeah. well, I think. You, you I can think. go even closer, no, 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 Nick. I, I hate to tell the Baptists and the, and the, and the um, Presbyterians, their roots are Catholic. Mm-hmm. And then some guy decided, oh, yeah. I don't like this part, I don't like that part, we're going to take that out. Let's move over to this town and create this new thing called um, Baptist. And then two guys from there said, well, I don't like that part and I don't like that part. Y'all come with me, we're going to go over here and make a new town, and we're going to be Presbyterians. All rooted right. oh, yeah. one thing called Catholicism. Yeah. I do, right. I do want to well, and again, again, just go back to Saint Paul. Just go back to Saint Paul, and he he broke it apart. He uh, he broke it apart from Judaism. He's like, well, um, we're gonna we're gonna allow non-Jews to join this Jewish cult. Oh, right, by the way, right. we really hate Jews. <laughs> I mean, it was like right. it was yeah, a two-step right. process. <laughs> let let me just note here something important, and I think that is that we can have a conversation about exclusion, which I think is a, we're all kind of having an issue with, and I think it's a problem, mm-hmm. while also at the same time noting that there are justifiable and reasonable. Uh, issues of concern. It's like if someone right. who's never who's never met us three happened upon this radio show and said, uh, "There's no black people on this show," that's a reasonable concern. That I don't have an issue with that. If someone raises that, I go, "That's fair." We have guests that are on. We're talking about this tradition at, from a world history perspective. We can have a conversation about it. that. To me, is not gatekeeping. That to me is a fair concern. This is a person who's never mm-hmm. met us, doesn't don't know us, and goes hold on a minute, this is what my grandma did, what's going on? I think there are fair ways of raising concerns, fair ways of feelings, even slightly uncomfortable about certain things that you encounter, right? You're watching that Hollywood mm-hmm. flick and the entire movie is a deeply, deeply, has like weirdly anti-Semitic tropes and then they start talking about gamatria and how it's sacred. Then you could be like, hold on a minute. There's something funky yeah. going on. So there's ways of raising, there's a difference between what I think are justifiable concerns about power, representation, uh, about appropriation. Those are all justifiable. Those are all fair. And I think they can open conversation and dialogue versus exclusion, where you say you cannot because you are blank. That's where I yeah. think there's a problem where you go, well, you cannot but because of and- blank. But if you say, hey, I'm a little uncomfortable because this seems like appropriating. You can go, okay, let's have this conversation. Are we appropriating? Are we not? How can we be more respectful? That, I think, is fair, totally fair game and justifiable. Yeah, you and, cannot and do yoga because you're not word, Yeah, yeah, you can't do yoga, right? Yeah, exactly, because you're not, you're not Asian. Um, I, I think that the word appropriation has been misused a lot. Um, celebration if you put in wherever sometimes someone says, are you appropriating black culture? You say, I'm celebrating black culture. That might be a, a different way of looking at it. Mm. Um, and there's also, there's also something here which is about 
folk magic as opposed to religion. We've been talking often on about religion and about magic, but they're not quite the same. And folk magic is run by a whole bunch of magpies. And folk magic, everybody picks up a spell from here or there. They uh, they say, oh, those guys in Georgia, they're the ones who are really good at it. And they travel to Georgia to learn how. And then they go, oh, well, we have some good stuff in Virginia. So folk magic is much more inclusive than religion is. An organic All right. exchange. Organically It's an or, or, organic exchange, exactly. Well, we're out of time. We could have gone on about this for hours, and um, if y'all like it, we may do some more on it. But I would try next time to exclude the topic of religion and just talk about yeah. the origins yeah. of magical workings. And I'm going to say one more thing. I know I'm running over time here. Um, if you read any of my books, which are collections of spells, you'll know how I parse these spells down by the origin of the herb. Pay attention to that. If um, basil, and it was given by a black woman in Memphis in 1936, where did Med basil come from, and where did she get the idea that basil was holy? And you have to think about these things. Herbs often, like I said, plants don't know nations, and plants don't know who they're supposed to hold allegiance to. And people use these plants in ways that they learn from their neighbors and books. So keep an eye on where the herbs come from, and you'll often find where the spells come from. All right. Sorry I ran over. Let's turn this over to Clifford. Sure. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly, call 1-888-4-HOODOO, or visit hoodoopsychics.com and by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller is Tiger Tiger, calling from area code 415. Tiger Tiger, are you there? Hello. Excellent. Glad to hear your voice. Um, You've indicated you have had no readings on this situation, but you said your situation is... I just found out that my apartment building is being sold, and I'm afraid that it will become known that my partner is an undocumented tenant, and therefore we might lose our rent control status and our home. I am seeking a reading and guidance on the situation and root work that will help us defend our ability to stay. All right, turning it over to you, Miss Kat. All right. Wow. This is a very, very complex question. I'm going to uh, ask you a couple of questions. Um, what is your sign of the zodiac? Hi, Miss Cat. I'm an Aries. An Aries, okay. And then um, your partner. What is your partner's sign of the zodiac? He's a Libra. A Libra, okay. Interesting. So they're opposite. Um, so here we have a situation in which you have technically violated. Um, the rules, and you're looking for a way to, um, you know, maintain the rent-controlled status of your home. So I'm going to do a three-card reading, and um, then I'm going to uh, turn this over to Papa G, and he will do a three-card reading, and then Contraman will do some root work advice for you. Okay, so um, I don't know what Papa G's reading will be based around. My 
uh, reading, because when I read your uh, concerns here, was there's two levels to what you're asking. One is, will we be caught out and will this result in disaster? And the second level is, how can we turn this to our favor? Okay. So I'm going to just do a three-card reading on the first part about this. How can we kind of fly in under the radar? Number one is the magician. This is a very good card. So the answer here is do some magic. You do have the power to do magic to control this situation. And it has a magician under a arbor of red roses. The situation started because of love. You moved your partner in. And you're going to do as above, so below. And he uses his wand to point down to the earth, and he creates the garden of his desires, roses and lilies together, and he uses four elements, the earth, air, fire, and water, the talisman, the cup of bathing or tea, the sword of uh, incense, air, and prayer, and the wand uh, or torch or lamp or candle. So you're going to be using some sort of a magical uh, work, and that is good for you. The next um, card is a kind of a weirdly open-ended card. It is the Ace of Pentacles. Now, this is a path going through a garden of roses and lilies, and there's an open arch at the end leading to the mountains, and the hand of God hands out a coin. Now, that gift of a coin from God could well be seen as your rent control or the subsidy that you're being paid by the state or by some organization, but you may end up moving because this says the way is also open to move if you want to. And you might want to rectify what's going on. If your partner has a job and you don't and and um, the rent control would be contingent on the two of yours uh, income, you may not be able to sustain that. And many people try. They end up lying and lying becomes a way of life. This card says you may want to accept what money you're entitled to, but also to move forward, to move forward from that feeling of um, dependency on uh, the lie, dependency on the state. It's just a possibility that you will be able to. I know that rents are very high now, and this is a very difficult situation. You're in a protected place. It doesn't say you'll be kicked out but you may find another place to live. And the third card is a card that is um, one of good hope, good hope and help. And it's um, called the Ten of Pentacles. And it shows a family in a courtyard gate with many coins around them. And they have land. They have multiple pieces of land. And they have a way to live uh, that's very profitable for them and very um, family-oriented. So what I see here is that you may find a different place to live. Saving this place may not be as important as finding a place where the two of you can live in a um, possibly a subsidized housing or rent-controlled situation that might be a different place. And this is about family and about the help of those of like mind. And it says you might have access to more money than you think you do. So that's my reading. Let's turn this over to Papa G. Hello. Um, you know, I, I did get one of the same cards Kat did. 
um, except in reverse. My, your reading begins with Ace of Pentacles in reverse. Oh. Um, when I pulled the three, I was thinking mainly of the the earthly part of your question about will you get to say um, what will happen? Um, because, you know, the Ace of Pentacles in reverse, it's, it, you know, the other way, it's almost like blessings falling from the sky. Um, but in reverse, it's about financial worries and sometimes taking things for granted. Like, it could it could possibly mean you've had this great deal for this long period of time. Hopefully, it helped you, I don't know, save up to, in case there's, you know, worse times were coming or something. But um, it is a card dealing with... Uh, it can also be risky, risky ventures when it's in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, risky finances, taking those finances for granted. And it's followed by the two of pentacles in reverse, um, which can mean something can sometimes be unmanageable, uh, hard to, you know, hard to juggle. There's a lot of instability in the situation. And it, it could get to a point where you you get tired of just messing with them over over this. If it becomes an argument and it becomes a problem, there may be a time where you just want to wash your hands of it because the last card is Nine of Wands in reverse, which is about feeling kind of beat up over a situation, um, exhausted to keep on dealing with it. Um, and sometimes it can be a stubbornness to, and a refusal to um, almost accept the obvious. So to me, it this altogether doesn't look like in the end you will be staying there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So prepare what now. Was your se- <laughs> what was your second card, Papa G.? Two of Pentacles in reverse. reverse. They're all three wow. are in reverse. Eight wow. of Pentacles, two of Pentacles, nine of Wands. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just say really something really quick before turning this over to um, Conjurman. Uh, this is sort of like I said. You have some magical power. You probably will move, and you'll find a better place. And he's going, and you may have to move, and. And you may suffer money problems, and the Two of Pentacles is also about m- moving, and um, and this is going to be a struggle if you try to try try to stay. Is that how you, I'm interpreting you? Yes, if you try to stay and lengthen it out, it becomes not, you get to the point where it's just like fine, we're out of here, just never mind. Mhm, mhm. All right, let's turn this over to Conjurman and see if he comes up with some root work. Fascinating reading. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do some root work here. Since you're not in an easy position, you've got a couple of things working against you. As one, you're dealing with matters of the law, which is quite difficult to work around. So we want to make sure that we protect you in that regard. And two, we also want to ensure uh, that if you move or if you decide to stay, that you you can do so uh, safely. I don't know where you live, but with rent control and some of the things you say, I can sort of guess uh, the area you're in. It's probably the rent's pretty intense, uh, and they are going up even more post-COVID uh, or the believed post-COVID period. 
Um, so it's not exactly an, an ideal situation to be in. But what you can do is mitigate this so that you are safe in your place for as long as you need to be. And should it come to you moving, you do so on your own terms. And if it doesn't come to you moving, great. You stay in your place, not a big problem, even though uh, Miss Cat and Papa G do indicate that moving is likely here. Let's say it doesn't come to pass. Let's say you, you stay. This root work will ensure that you stay there safely. If on the other hand, things get a little bit rocky and you do have to move out, this root work will ensure that you move out on your own terms and not in a situation that is desperate. You need to find a new place within 30 days or you don't have the down payment for, the, for a new place or, or it financially strains you. We want to make sure that whatever the situation is, we ameliorate, we mitigate it. That's what work can allow us to do. Is even in the most difficult situations, it can either work miracles or it can help to ameliorate the difficulties. It can mitigate some of those problems so that it is more manageable. It empowers you. So I'm going to give you a three-part working that will empower you. Uh, hopefully, I will leave some time so that Papa G and Ms. Cat can come in and maybe offer a little bit about protecting your money, particularly because Papa G mentioned some type of financial strain there. What I want you to do is take four plants, four potted plants, and place them in the four corners of your home. So I'm assuming this is some type of apartment, so you should have uh, four corners or, or sort of roughly four corners. Take potted plants and place them there. Take railroad spikes and drive them into the potted plants. So you might be going, why the hell potted plants? Generally, if you're in an apartment, you don't have a lot of land around you or you don't own the land around you. You just kind of are in your space. So this is great for anyone that lives in a high-rise, that anyone that lives in an apartment. If you are physically own a house or you're on a plotted land, then you can do this on the ground itself. You do this do it in the four corners of the property. So just you can vary this. But for now, if you're in an apartment, take four potted plants, take railroad strikes, and drive them in. Do this on Sunday as the sun is rising, and then sprinkle it with a little bit of holy water. Feed it and pray over it. That so long as these railroad spikes remain in these plants, that you will remain in your home and your home will be yours and none can uproot you. Then on a Wednesday, I at, uh, as the sun is setting, so at dusk, get yourself an Indian head penny. Place this in the center of a white handkerchief. Add nine devil shoestring, a pinch of slippery elm, and three bay leaves. The Indian head penny will be your your protector, your watcher. The nine devil shoestrings will tie up any who try to wish you harm. The slippery elm will allow you to slip through any who speak against you, who work against you, as well as manage the bureaucracy that may work against you. And the three baileys will bring you the solar power of victory. Place this onto the handkerchief, then fold the handkerchief, and then knot it nine times as you pray. As this handkerchief is knotted, I shall remain safe. The law will stay away. The gaze of the law will not peer into this house, and they will see nothing. Nine knots. Feed this law, keep away oil, and nail it above your door. Click, click, click. Nail it above the door, and it will act as your guardian, ensuring that none can see what is going on in your house and that the law will not have a glance at you. This will buy you some time. With enough power and strength and with a little bit of luck, it may ensure that they never find out 
that your partner is undocumented in your place and that you may continue living without any difficulties. It will offer you that protection. At minimum, it will give you the wiggle room you need to make decisions or at least prepare for any future inevitability. Finally, I want you to gather dirt from the four corners of the apartment building. So actually go outside, gather dirt from the four corners, and place this into your right shoe. This will allow you to control the situation. It will bring the entire apartment under your feet and will allow you to leave on your own terms should it come to it. If it doesn't, then the apartment remains under your control and no one will be able to exert any power over you. All three of these workings are designed to reverse the situation of powerlessness, to help overcome the difficulty that you're in, mitigate some of that trouble, and give you the wiggle room that you need. When a reading tells me, yeah, you're most likely going to move, then we immediately transition to going, okay, how can we delay? How can we slow this down? How can we mitigate this? How can we make this transition easier? If you're very successful, it'll never the, the prediction won't come to pass and you'll be fine and you'll stay in your apartment with these protections in place. If it does come to pass, then you will have enough time to have saved up for a down payment, to have found another rent-controlled place that is better for you, as Ms. Cat has prophesied for you, um, and also to leave on your own terms. So this is what I recommend here. Uh, we do have some time, so hopefully Ms. Cat and Papa G can add some bits about maybe finding another place or uh, how to protect your money should it come to you moving. Okay. Um, I'm going to just add one little thing first. Um, a lot of people live in a city apartment, and there is no dirt even around the building, just concrete or asphalt. Um one of the old-time tricks I was taught in St. Louis, where there are a lot of brick buildings, is scrape the mortar from between the bricks and use that mm-hmm. as the dirt that represents the outside of the building. If the building yeah, is wood... We call wood, that apartment dust. Uh, <laughs> apartment dust, right. And if the building is wood, an old a Scandinavian way is to take a chip of wood out of the um, threshold and door jams or from around the building. Uh, splinters of wood, those would be called. So th- there are many ways to get around this if you have to. If um, you it's solid wall-to-wall, uh, concrete and brick, all the way to the edge of the block, do the whole block, just walk around the block, there will be something growing somewhere at the four corners of that block, I'm sure. So that's my, my advice on this. And I think that... Um, Contraman did something really wise here. He's showing you how to delay anything, how to keep yourself invisible, how to nail the place down for you. You may be able to skate by, um, but if you have to, call us back, and we will give you some another reading and some advice on how to find another place. It hasn't come to that yet. And I want to say one more thing about the uh, railroad spikes. I know one woman, and I think uh, Contraman and Papa G know her too, who lived in a place for more than five years after she they tried to evict her, and she put down four railroad spikes and... Um, when she was ready to move, she picked those railroad spikes up out of the ground and moved to her new place in triumph. So it can be mm. done. You can delay things a long yeah. time. And I know you all know her. <laughs> yeah, and in Kat's reading, um, she mentioned she had the magician and mentioned you should do magic. My reading comes along and says, oh, it's not going to turn out well. And then Conjure Man told you to do magic. So I would interpret mine as if you do nothing, this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. 
which I tell people right. that's what a tarot reading is. This is at the moment you come to me and ask me this question, this is what is going to happen. Now go change it. it it's not set in stone. Yeah, that's a that's a really a good way of looking at it. Um, I, I would say that mine was kind of best-case scenario and Papa G's was worst-case scenario. But they were interesting because they both had the Ace of Pentacles. And mine showed moving, but almost as if there would be some kind of um, a gift of money that might help that move or um, getting in touch with people who might might facilitate the move if it comes to the move. All right. And call us back to keep us updated, okay? We, we really wish for the best for you. All right. And next, our personal gin brings us song and dance on the vaudeville stage. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Papa G of FolkMagicStudio.com in Nashville, Tennessee. Take it away, Papa G. Thank you. Um, this time, spell is to actually dispel rumors. It is from my new book, Hexapeel. Uh, in the back of the in the back of the book, I actually talk about unhexing. So it's sort of a cleansing ritual, and it does come from the. Uh, it's an old hoodoo spell from the Hyatt book. I'm sorry, I did not write down the reference to it, and I sort of reworked it. It's if someone is gossiping about you, you would uh, this to cleanse away their uh, slander. It's sort of a. Um, a spiritual washing, bathing, but you're going to do it in the shower. You'll take, uh, you'll need wintergreen oil, cinnamon oil, banban oil, borax, and sugar. And what you're going to do is take one cup of borax and add to it just two drops of wintergreen, two drops of the cinnamon essential oil, and about 10 to 15 drops of banban oil. And then you knead it together as if you were going to make, like you're going to make biscuits. You, you knead it together and get all the oil dispersed through all of the the powder. And then you'll mix in one teaspoon of sugar and sort of stir it together. And then what you do is you, um, before you get in the shower, you sprinkle two, but two tablespoons into the tub and get in the shower as you normally would. And you're praying the gossip away while you lather and rinse off, it's going down the drain. Everything that's been, they've been saying about you, the rumors, and when people see you from then on, they won't think about that. They won't talk about that. So um, wintergreen is a little bit um, skin irritating for some people. You can replace it with another mint, but wintergreen was the traditional oil for it. And you should do this 
two times in one week, once on a Tuesday and again on a Friday. And if you cannot locate borax, you would use baking soda. And it's really that simple. That is wow. to wash away rumors. That's a that's a really interesting one. Mm. Now, see, this is this is where the cultural anthropologist in me goes. You mean you got this from Harry Hyatt's collection of five thousand spells by six and I didn't write it down, I know. and you didn't write <laughs> down which one because this has the earmarks of Memphis, Tennessee, to me. I'm just saying that mm. it could be. It could be somewhere on the Mississippi River, and it could be down to New Orleans, but it is... The ingredients it all came from the book except for the sugar. I added that. Ah, well, that was what was marking it for Memphis to me. See, I need to go find oh. it now and find it out. See, one of the things that Hyatt did was he recorded where people did these um, reports to him, where he was sitting and, and uh, what year it was, what day it was, and we learn a lot about the regionality of hoodoo, that um, certain ingredients appear over and over in certain towns because there was a mentor, teacher, elder who always recommended this certain thing or another. And in another town, they would do something else. So um, that I'm going to have to go through all five volumes to find this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in either volume one or three. Oh, good. That's all. I have to go through two volumes. Yeah. Well, see, when I, I, I'm not trying to put you down, Papa G, but I, I this is this is to me when you lose the the uh, thread, then you become the authority, right? And so, one of the best hater speeches ever given against me was this really vicious, vicious hater who followed me around on Usenet in the '90s and said, "She just keeps on copying things out of the Hyatt books." And I'm like, well, yeah, why not? Because I'm giving credit to who did it, and I'm you know, trying to let people know where these spells came from. I'm not claiming them as my own. But, of course, it wasn't just Hyatt. I also was you know, uh, copying spells out of Nobel Niles Pocket and, and Jordan Hurston and Leonora Heron and, and um, Alice Bacon and on and on and on because the idea was to present uh, the context, uh, the right. stratigraphy, as it were. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll remember I'll, I'll just... for the next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the second edition of this book, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so amazing to me how there are regional variations. And um, Conjurman often talks about the conjure that he learned in Virginia, mm-hmm. quite different than the conjure I learned in Oakland, which came from um, Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. So. Just a different different form of working. Well, you know, John and I just a slightly different flavor. Yeah, John's in, John St. Germain is in East Tennessee. I'm mm-hmm. in Central, not West. But he was who do there and here is quite different. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this is the the wonder about folk magic, and it speaks against gatekeeping. It speaks about sharing. And about regionality, which was sharing before everything was written down, oral traditions, and about sharing in a friendly way. And you'll find these clusters of spell types. Just fascinating. Um, you were going to say something, Conjurin? No, I, I think that was Papa G that said something. 
Oh, it was Papa G. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I really love this. Um, this is a wonderful, wonderful bath. The fact that it rec- uh, mentions Van Van might put it at New Orleans. Wintergreen definitely. Yeah, that's New what Orleans. I was thinking. Yeah, well, it was with the sugar that made me think of Memphis, you see. But he added the sugar. Isn't that funny? <laughs> we could play. We could play a game. You know, stump the experts here. I'm going to give you a spell. These are the ingredients. Where did it come from? It's, <laughs> Which is um, funny because you, I immediately when I, I mean the Van Van for me is always is New Orleans. Yeah. So yeah, Memphis, yeah, that, a Tennessean made up the Memphis ingredient. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Memphis uses a lot of, um, for instance, you said you could substitute a baking soda for borax. Baking soda is real popular in Memphis, old-time conjure for cleansing. Just one of those things. And washing soda as opposed to baking soda, both of those. And this is really a traditional um, uh, working. I really love it. It's just, yeah. it's real simple. It also one that, dealt, that used horseradish. There's a, there's a cleansing Oh. That uses horseradish, um, too, and I thought now, that's I'm, an interesting. I'm going to say, but see, that sounds like powwows or German folk magic, and and hoodoo does have that in it, because horseradish is not African. We know that, and it and the use of horseradish in food comes from two places: Asia. Or the Pennsylvania Dutch, which are the German oh. immigrants to America. Six-track magic cleansing, holy water, ammonia, horseradish, green straws, and plain water. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, those are. It, it's so fascinating to see how inclusionism has gone on uh, without gatekeeping for years and years and years. So if people tell you you can't. Just smile in their face and say, I think I'm already doing it. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, we're going to bring in uh, Clifford, and he's going to give us our announcements, and then we'll come back. I may say a few more words, and then we'll all say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed this one. Go ahead, Clifford. Thank you, Miss Cat and Conjurman. Thank you, Papa G of BookMagicCEO.com in Nashville, Tennessee, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week, which we do with our very special guest, who has just been announced. Once again, we come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo form at form.luckymojo.com and conjuremanconsulted.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, joining you from cliffloe.com. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and those shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week. At the same time, you will the premiere of your screens of the Memphis Judge Band playing the Judge Band Waltz. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Hi again. I have one big announcement to make. This is a very important announcement. I just want to make a big shout-out to Tony I. I hope you got your money back from DoorDash, those motherfuckers. (laughs) 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 Friends of Tony I will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) All right. Um, Be sure to go out and get your tickets for the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, August 13th and 14th. You will learn a lot. Ten hour-long workshops with Q&A, live Q&A with the 
presenters. There will be a goodie box with things you can make, do, and um, follow along with. There's PDFs. There will be two books included in your goodie box. One is Sex Appeal by Papa G, and you just had a sample of that. And the other is my new upcoming book, uh, Hoodoo Dolls and Effigies. So um, be sure that you get your tickets and... um, Come by and see us, hoodooheritagefestival.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.